Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Oh, yes, delivery. Gendouzi's header. Here's an opportunity, Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. Adolberg. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Good morning and welcome to Le Bourgeois, the official league uh, podcast brought to you by, uh, well, today me, Ian Holyman, standing in for Robbie Thompson, who's back in Australia enjoying league in all sorts of hours. That's pretty much what we've been doing over the weekend as well, a busy round of fixtures following that midweek round as well. So all the games crammed into Saturday and Sunday following them as well. A man that French-based listeners may well have seen on French TV, Tom, not yet showbiz Williams. Delighted to have you with us, Tom. Uh, hi, Ian. A pleasure to be with you, as ever. And this is this being a purely audio-based media. Tom is isn't wearing the makeup he usually does for for TV. Like me, though, Andy Scott is a man who requires makeup even to make himself sound palatable at this time on a Monday morning. How are you, Andy? Or or maybe how were you <laughs> after that rather gratuitous barb? Do you know? Do you know? I got. Um, I woke up in the night to go. Um, to go to the bathroom, and there was a big spider on the wall, and so I had to spend a long time trying to because it was right above my bed. I had to spend a long time trying to 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 sort of catch it and move it away. So as a consequence, I missed quite a lot of sleep. So I, I crawled out of bed, came through to the spare. I thought you were going to say that you had to crawl into the spare room to get away from the spider. No, 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 no. No, 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 not at all. It was quite a friendly spider, but I didn't want it right above the right above what the bed. Were you was gonna, to what sleep, were you worried so was going to happen? It, but, was it, it wasn't yeah, poisonous, was it? It, it took it? a long time. I don't, well, I don't know. I mean, who knows? I'm not a fan of spiders. and Certainly not. I don't want them crawling into my mouth or my, my ear when I'm sleeping. That would, that would, that would stop me from sleeping all night. So. No further you're, listening, you're listening to yeah. riveting, riveting insect-based chat from Andy Scott on Le Bourgeois, <laughs> the official League on podcast. Is this, it's is about this, football, Andy. Well, is a spider I, I, I don't know. Is it? Well, te- that's te- a debate te- to be had on te- another te- league and podcast. Technically, he says, pushing his glasses back up at the bridge of his nose. I think you'll find a spider's actually an arachnid <laughs> rather than an insect. <laughs> I was going to go with arachnid, Tom, but I thought that was a little bit too highbrow for this sort of uh, time of the morning. I just thought if you're an arachnid let's, fan let's... and you're listening to this and we, we, we miss. <laughs> We miss arachniding spiders, then that's, you know, we're going to get angry emails. So best to just avoid that if we can. I think if we continue on this line of chat, we're going to get angry emails for a very, very different sort of <laughs> different sort of reason. Maybe we should get back to the football. How, how about that, chap, shall we? Yeah. Um, well, let's start with the champions. Paris Saint-Germain were at the Coupe de France winners Nantes on Saturday. And uh, Andy Scott, the aforementioned with uh, presumably no spiders, or not too many spiders around, commentated this one. Castelletto ends up on the ground, he's going to have to get back into position here for the moment. Andre Girotto is covering the Cameroonian centre-back, Messi feeds it into the path of Kylian Mbappe. Mbappe's shot, absolutely lethal. And PSG punishing Nantes for losing possession inside their own half. Mustafa Mohamed losing out to Vitinha. Paris Saint-Germain will look to come forward again, Sanabia. Messi with the touch, and the foul on Vitinha. Well, Fabio pleading his innocence, the red card is produced by the referee. 
and Fabio is dismissed and knocked her down to 10 men midway through the first half here. Mbappe through here, Mbappe looks to square it, Nicola Palma with a really important touch to stop that ball coming cleanly to Messi, but it doesn't matter because Messi tees up Mbappe, PSG put the ball in the net again, but the offside flag cuts short the celebrations. Well, the offside flag up for the initial ball played through. Messi and Mbappe, question about the position of the two of them. And this goal is given. VAR checking it and confirming that uh, Mbappe was onside when that ball was played through. It was a close call. Ashraf Hakimi looking for Renato Sanchez and Neymar surely comes off the woodwork. Nuno Mendes into the net. And there is the third goal for Paris Saint-Germain. Wrapping up the points here after Neymar's initial effort came back off the woodwork. Now, Andy, the, the big talking point perhaps from this game was actually before kickoff. Neymar benched by uh, Christophe Galtier, and uh, apparently he accepted that, probably with a, with a view to Juventus coming up on Tuesday in the Champions League. We'll have more of that in a second. And uh, also on the pitch, Kylian Mbappe barely sulking, <laughs> which is perhaps uh, quite an achievement when he got taken off just after the hour mark. Is, is Christophe Galtier sort of, does he have this group of superstars in an, in an iron grip, an iron grip in a, in a velvet Marseille-accented glove? <laughs> <laughs> can, you, can, can you have an accented glove? I don't know. Um, well, listen, I, I think, I mean, I, I find it a bit funny that we're having to even talk about this. It, it gives you an idea of, the extent to which the, the superstars have dominated the discourse around Paris Saint-Germain for a, for a while. I mean, it's perfectly normal that a manager would take players off when his team are, are 2-0 up um, and, and cruising in a game when they've had a game the previous midweek, when they've got a big game to come the following midweek. But this is this is where we're at with PSG. Um, you know, I mean, obviously I was commentating the game. It, it was certainly striking that Neymar wasn't in the starting lineup when we got the team's head of kickoff. But it was, I mean... The, th- the thing about PSG is, why are they trying to add players to their squads if it's not to occasionally rest some of the big boys? So you've got Pablo Sarabia, who was the top scorer for Sporting in Portugal last season. He's come back from a loan spell. Um, he's a Spanish international. You know, you need to give Neymar a rest, not because he is uh, exhausted or, or carrying an injury or anything like that, but just because you're aware of the busy schedule coming up. So it made perfect sense. Uh, it didn't stop PSG from winning the game pretty comfortably, although the red card obviously played a, a part in that. But even then, PSG were already 1-0 up at that point. There's a golfing class between the clubs, that's for sure. So, you know, a fairly comfortable win. Christophe Galtier, I think everybody is... There's, there's a unanimous view in France that he has um, succeeded so far. He's He certainly seems to have the players on his side. He's got them playing... Uh, good football, and I know that uh, you know. Reading the the, the reports in Lequipe yesterday morning, almost the first paragraph suggested that it wasn't a great performance from PSG, but they were still very slick and 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 confident looking, and and they played some nice football at times, and you know they 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 did what they needed to do to win the game. Obviously, the um, the bigger test is to come against Juventus, and the other thing to say, of course, is that the the probably the toughest fixture they've had so far, they didn't win. So the jury is still out to some extent, but again, it was it was a comfortable win and, and, a, and, and a great finish by Mbappe for the first goal too, you have to say. Tom, if you could, if you could bring your jury in, please, on uh, PSG's summer transfer business. Now, they, they added Fabian Ruiz, who was actually suspended 
for that Nantes game following a, a red card in a Coppa Italia game eight months ago for Napoli. Um, we'll have to dig through the the uh, the history books and, and the regulations to work that one out. Carlos Soler as well uh, of, of Valencia, uh, two very highly gifted midfielders. A lot of the undesirables, as they were as they were called by L'Equipe, have, have been moved out. Tilo Kera, Idrissa Gay, Ander Herrera et al. Um, impressed with PSG's transfer business in the summer? Yeah, I mean, I think I think they they ticked some of the boxes they were looking to tick. Certainly in terms of moving out players, um, albeit an awful lot of those players have only gone out on loan, um, so are not yet off the books. But I think you know Christophe Galtier's um, priority at the start of the transfer window was to was was to end up with a much smaller squad, um, which is which is what he's now got. Um, so I think from that perspective, um, I think it's been a success. Um, I feel like it's the sort of transfer window we've seen from PSG before where they seem to end up with just armfuls of, of new central midfielders and you're not entirely sure how much game time any of them are going to get. Obviously, Vitinha, um, who was the first, the first new player in through the door um, in that part of the pitch, has made a very impressive start to life at PSG and I think we can already see what, what he's going to bring to them in terms of his his mobility and his creativity in central areas seems to be striking up a good relationship with, with Marco Verratti already. The rest of Renato Sanchez has been quite disappointing from what we've seen so far. Um, you know, Fabian Ruiz, Carlos Soler, albeit Soler, someone who we expect to play slightly further forward. Are, are we going to see that much of them this season? I suppose with the the very peculiar nature of this season and all these matches squeezed in before the World Cup, there is going to be um, more rotation than than in previous seasons. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think PSG, generally speaking, look quite well furnished in midfield and in forward areas. I think it's in the defence where I would probably have the most concerns uh, in that we know there was this this very drawn out pursuit of Milan Skriniar, um, uh, the Inter Milan centre-back that, that dragged all the way through to deadline day and he ended up not arriving. Um, and it's left PSG with only three senior centre-backs. And I thought one of the, one of the, one of the striking things about the, um, the team they put out at, at Nantes on Saturday was, was seeing Danilo back in defence. Um, and albeit he has played there previously, we know it's not his, his preferred position. And, you know, the fact that they've allowed Abdou Diallo to, to go out on loan, um, I, I, I worry slightly, particularly given the fact that one of those three senior centre-backs is Sergio Ramos, who barely played at all last season and who, OK, has started this season pretty well and, um, you know, it clearly brings a lot to the squad on and off the pitch. But um, it, it's not an ideal situation to, you know, to be in, I think, going into the season with, with, with those three players. And the fact that your first backup is... Um, a not particularly mobile holding midfielder makes me wonder whether that could be something that backfires on PSG in the in the months ahead. Yeah, it does seem a strange decision. You've got Nordi Mukueli as well, hmm. who could play on that right side uh, as centre back as well. But he's he's essentially sort of a hybrid right back, wing back, stroke centre back. But they don't really have any cover for Kimpembe on the left hand side, which uh, Diallo it seems to me again a bit of a hybrid fullback, stroke centre back. But he could have played there. Um, so they do look a, a little bit light in that position. Certainly not going forward, Andy. Uh, Leo Messi, a um, couple of assists for him, uh, for, for Kylian Mbappe, the, the two goals that, that Mbappe got before he got uh, before he got taken off. Nuno Mendes with his first goal after Neymar um, 
somehow uh, failed to, to score what would have been his eighth goal uh, of the season. So Mbappe and Neymar top on seven goals at the top of the league, league on scoring charts. Messi, though, and I thought this was an interesting stat, he's been involved in nine goals in his first six league on games of the season. He's only ever had four better starts to a campaign in his career. Are, are, we, are we finally going to see, maybe not the best of Leo Messi, but the best of Leo Messi that we're going to get uh, at the age that he is now? Well, possibly. I mean, yeah, he's, he's, you know, he's, he scored just six goals in the league last season and, and he kind of um, had adapted his game already to become more of a servant to, um, to Kylian Mbappe. Um, and then the very first couple of games of this season, we saw him scoring goals. He scored against Nantes in the Trophée des Champions. He scored a couple at Clermont on the opening day, but he's only scored one goal since then, which you know, for Messi, one goal in what in 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 five matches, you think, oh well, that's that's not great. But he has been providing the goals, and 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 we've seen that side of his game again. I mean, I think, listen, he, he looks he, he looks in terrific shape. I mean, Tom was saying this to me a couple of weeks ago. Lionel Messi, like the other boys in the PSG attack, when when they, when they all t- take the tops off at the end of the games, you see how fantastic shape they're in physically. You know, Messi's not got. Um, not got any, uh, you know, any any excess weight on him whatsoever. At his age, he looks in tremendous shape. He's still very sharp. Um, but I, I was thinking this, commentating the game on Saturday, that, you know, he is Lionel Messi. He he's not the player he was in Barcelona. I think I think that's the thing we we have to bear that in mind. And it's going to be interesting to see how he um, how he gets on in the Champions League. I, d- I do wonder. Um, how they're going to get on in the Champions League? You know, if, are they going to be able to rely on Mbappe and Neymar, I'm sorry, Messi and Neymar to to stay fit and deliver when they need it? You know, are they going to be relying on Mbappe? So, um, you know, the, the the front three have um, have had their moments at the start of this season, and and obviously seven goals each for for Mbappe and Neymar is very impressive in the league. Messi is setting them up, but the the big games are to come. You know, and and, and Juventus will will give us. Um, some kind of answer as to, to where PSG really stand when, when they come to the Parc de France tomorrow night. Andy and I frequently compare footballers' physiques when we, uh, when we meet up. Um, it's, it's, generally, <laughs> it's generally top of our agenda. I think an interesting point to make about Messi is that I, I, something I think we're witnessing is his evolution into what will be, sadly for all of us, the final phase of his career. Um, and in that we're seeing more of Messi, the creator, and a little bit less of Messi, the goal scorer. And because whenever you talk about Messi, you have to compare him to Cristiano Ronaldo at some point. I feel like Messi is much better placed for this final phase of his career. I mean, we shouldn't forget that he is um, slightly younger than, than Ronaldo. But whereas Ronaldo is now just this sort of big lummox of a number nine who just stands in the penalty area waiting for the ball, I can see Messi, depending on how long he wants to play for, in two or three years, being a pure number 10, someone who spends all of his time in that part of the pitch. And I think something that, that we've seen of him uh, in the early weeks this season and something we saw again at, at Nantes is, is his incredible vision, his incredible ability to, 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 to see a pass, to, to, to wait a pass. Um, and I think the fact that he has now got that number 10 role um, alongside Neymar in support of Mbappe um, I think that will only sort of like, you know, facilitate that. So perhaps, perhaps he's never going to hit those goal scoring heights again. But I, I feel in, in that kind of evolution in his game, there's still an awful lot of fun to be had watching him. We're having a lot of fun too, listening to Tom Williams on the official League Arm podcast. Please subscribe on all the usual podcast uh, platforms and give us a rating, which uh, should be extremely high following that spider chat and uh, 
the uh, physique chat. I, I was just wondering, um, Big Lummox, can we can we quote you on that, Tom? I like I like that. It, I think it was Big Lummox, was it uh, Ronaldo? And and how does Ronaldo's physique compare to to Messi's? Because this is uh, this is obviously the crucial question that needs answering. I mean, you know, Ronaldo has has, has long <laughs> been famed for his physique. I don't think Messi's ever going to really be able to compete with him on that score. But I, yeah, I was I was struck by um, a, a photograph. Uh, of Messi, Neymar and Mbappe in the changing room after a, a PSG game earlier in the season. And they did look absolutely, I believe shredded is is the term, when you are just extremely <laughs> lean. And I think the fact that the World Cup is so close is is a big motivating factor for all three of them and, and, and probably a big factor in the fact that they've started the season so impressively. Um, I think ordinarily, if you're... If you're a superstar footballer going into a season with with a World Cup at the end, you'll have it in the back of your mind. Um, you know the need to stay fit, that the need to still be in in peak form the following summer. When that World Cup is is coming around three months into the season, it means you have to you have to hit your straps physically much more quickly. And I I think long term it'll be interesting. I mean this isn't and this isn't just PSG. This goes for for every every major club in, 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 in world football, those players who come back from the World Cup are all going to be knackered, are all going to be worn out in different ways, you know, physically, mentally. Um, but for the time being, at least, certainly for, for PSG, I think that the imminence of, of the World Cup is is um, is a big positive in terms of how sort of motivated and, and how, how physically sharp their, their key players are. Uh, just, a, just a quick note to the listeners, please don't send us uh, comparisons of your own physique with that of Ronaldo and Messi, but you can get in touch with us if you if you agree or and especially if you disagree with with anything that we've we've said there this morning. I'm I'm sure you will on League One Podcast at Gmail Now, for all of PSG's brilliance at the start of the season, Marseille, yes, Marseille, the the club that seemed to be in absolute turmoil for the entire summer, are keeping pace with them. They went to Auxerre on uh, Saturday, and I had the pleasure of watching this one. Hilsing is on the beautifully done! And the follow-up from Jason Steerholm clinically. But it was made by Sengiz unders burst into the box. And when his shot came back off the post, Jason tucked it away. First league goal of the season for Jason. And Marseille with an early lead. Harit finds Genduzi. Here's an opportunity. Sanchez steers it home beautifully. And that surely wraps up the points for Marseille. Beautifully worked. The substitute, Harit. Another sob in Genduzi. And yet another in Alexis Sanchez. Steering home his third league goal for Marseille. So Marseille. Joint top of the table with Paris Saint-Germain. They were actually top of the table uh, on their own for a, for a few hours ahead of PSG's game at Nantes, which was later on on Saturday. Um, I mean, Igor Tudor says it doesn't mean anything at this stage of the season. He has a has a certain point, but it it does mean Andy that he's he's getting something right, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, I mean, obviously the. the... <laughs> Very strange, you know. Ahead of the opening game of the season, he was being he was being jeered and whistled by the supporters when his name was read out uh, at the velodrome, and and I wonder what they're thinking now. I mean, if you if if you leave aside any discussion of performances, which I appreciate are important, um, 
you know, you can't argue with the results. Mar- Marseille's results have been good. I think you, you, you might say the fixtures have been reasonably kind. I mean, you know, they were, they were um, maybe not the most convincing winners against Clermont during the week, uh, only 1-0 in that game. But that was a fixture they lost last season. Uh, they go to Auxerre and, and they get a, a, a comfortable win in the end, despite making, what was it, seven changes that Igor Tudor made to the starting lineup, obviously with an eye on the game in the Champions League against Tottenham. So, you know, the results are there. Um, I think when we did the, 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 the season preview podcast, I think there seemed to be a, a, a view amongst us that Marseille would struggle to finish in the top three this season. So from that point of view, um, he's, he's proving us all wrong. It's been, it's been a good start. They're, they're looking on course to finish in the top three because one, of the other, one or two of the other contenders have not had great starts. It's, it's the case of getting some, uh, some points on board nice and early because I think they will start to drop points when, when the Champions League kicks off, which is about to. So, you know, that's, that's all positive for them. And, and, you know, obviously bringing Alexis Sanchez off the bench, keeping him fresh for midweek. Lots of questions still to be asked about his management of the squad and, and, I, and I think about the transfer window as well. I mean, obviously, you know, the, 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 the loss of Arkadiusz Milik um, is a curious one. I think, I think there's a view that Marseille probably didn't want to lose Milik. They just couldn't get rid of Bomba Dieng and Cedric Bakombu, and that has been borne out. I think, I think when you see the Marseille Champions League squad, which has been announced, and they've, they've, had to, they've had to take a couple of players off it compared to the number that other clubs are able to register. That's related to financial fair play punishment from UEFA, but Bomba Dieng is not on that list. I know they, they tried everything to, to get rid of him on transfer deadline day. The story of his um, supposed move away from the club is, is quite something for anybody who's not heard about it. Leeds United came in for him. He was about to board a plane to, to Leeds and then, and then his agent got wind of interest from Nice and, and they decided to say to Leeds, no, thank you. We're going to go to Nice instead. And then he failed a medical. So, um, he's back at Marseille, but not in the Champions League squad. Bakambu's still at Marseille, but not in the Champions League squad. And in the meantime, Arkadiusz Milik's gone to Juventus and scored two and two games. So, you know, they, they maybe could have done with having him. Um, we'll, see how, we'll see how things go over the course of the season in that regard. But, you know, if, if, if Sanchez and Payet can stay fit, can deliver the goals, despite their relatively advanced uh, ages, then, then they might have a chance. And, and you know, the, it... In general, if a team starts a season very strongly, it sets them up. They can then afford to have a little tail off in form at some point, and they'll probably not be, be be too badly off. As opposed to, you know, putting themselves in a position where they need to catch up. You look at Monaco last season, where they had that incredible run in the last ten games, nine wins, and then a draw on the last day, and and they ended up just missing out in second place. But the point is, they they needed that run to get into the top three. Whereas, um, whereas, you know, if they'd started the season better, things might have been different. And in Marseille's case, they're starting the season strongly and it's setting them up very nicely. Yeah, just uh, an Arkadiusz Milik, a bit of a collector's item. Shirt is up for grabs in our Deja Vu competition. Uh, that'll come up a little bit later. But and with that in mind, perhaps, Tom, I shouldn't be saying this. Who, who needs Arkadiusz Milik when you've got Alexis Sanchez? Three goals in, in his last three. Got a couple against uh, Nice in the 3-0 win at the Allianz Riviera uh, a couple of uh, a week or so back. Um, Sanchez came in with a lot of fanfare, not particularly a huge amount of expectation, at least from, from me, I think, and, and, and much of the French media. Um, he's, he's getting on as well, but is, is, he the right, is he the sort of right fit for Marseille? He certainly, certainly seems to be right now. Yeah, I mean, he could scarcely have made a better start. Um... Uh, you know, clearly a huge amount of excitement among the, the Marseille fan base about about him 
about him coming in and you know you think back to those scenes of him being being greeted at the airport and you know that there was a bit of skepticism about him um because you know if you you go back to the end of his time in England for example uh, even before he left Arsenal that that you know there was quite a, a pronounced dip in his in his form he was a shadow of his his former self throughout his time at Manchester United I mean one of the, the biggest flops um that there have been at United in the, in the post to Alex Ferguson years and that's saying something given the amount of flops that that, that they've that they've signed um and then into you know not not a guaranteed starter um you know clearly getting on a little bit as well without without being unkind so it was it was it was difficult to know what kind of impact uh, he'd have but yeah so far it's been it's been pretty much faultless um and you know he I think the expect or my expectation at least was that he would be vying for one of those two sort of number ten roles in support of the centre forward rather than playing as the centre forward, which is you know which is where we have seen him play. So, you know, I, I think as, as ever, you know, with a player of, of his of his age, he will need to be managed carefully. Um, and as we've said, uh, albeit um, in the form of players who Igor Tudor is clearly not very keen on. You know, Marseille do have uh, backup options. We saw Luis Suarez getting a run out um, at, uh, at uh, Auxerre on, on Saturday. So there are opportunities to, to rest Sanchez if, if need be. But I, I, I think, you know, you, you look at, um, you know, the majority of the players Marseille have brought in and, and an awful lot of them have settled quickly. You know, Chancel and Bemba, you know, playing in that back three, looks like he's been there for years. Jonathan Clouds as well has picked up where he left off at Lens. Jordan Vertu in midfield is slotted in really nicely. Nuno Tavares, um, who Arsenal fans couldn't have been more happy to, to wave goodbye to from the Emirates and has turned into this flamboyant, goal-scoring, uh, marauding left wing-back. And, and Alexis Sanchez is, is just sort of slots in, you know, slots in along, alongside them. So, yeah, I mean, as Andy says, you, you know, you go back to that first home game and, and, and the new coach getting booed before his team have even played the competitive fixture is is, is pretty uh, remarkable, even by Marseille standards. But, you know, here we are six games into the season. They're unbeaten, four wins on the spin, three straight clean sheets. Uh, they couldn't be doing much better. Yeah, Nuno Tavares actually hit, hit the posts as well against Orsay. I could have had a fourth call of the season, but, uh, incredibly. And uh, brilliant save from Benoit Costil to deny Sanchez with with the follow up. Sanchez getting the second late on after Jerson putting putting them in front. But Spurs on Wednesday. Now a lot of Arsenal connections in that Marseille squad. They're going to be, of course, doubly determined to do well in England, particularly in in against their North London derby rivals. Um, they've got Eintracht Frankfurt and Sporting Lisbon in in the group as well. Marseille last time in the Champions League under Andre Villas Boas. Didn't go well. It didn't go well. This time, though, surely, surely we're looking at a Marseille squad that's better equipped than it was under Villa Sports a couple of seasons back. And they've got, maybe Spurs aside, a, a, a pretty welcoming group, haven't they, Andy? Yeah, they have got a welcoming group. I mean, you've got to be careful how you, how you assess that because... Um... It, it raises expectations to, to maybe possibly even a slightly unrealistic level. I mean, Eintracht Frankfurt were possibly, possibly not the kindest uh, team they could have got in pot one. You might say that Ajax or Porto would have been kinder than Eintracht Frankfurt, who won the Europa League last season and who have just absolutely destroyed RB Leipzig 4-0 in the Bundesliga at the weekend. They've got Mario Götze playing for them now and doing well. Doing well. They've got Rondal Kolomouani, of course, who was 
excellent for Nantes last season, who started very well there. The idea that Frankfurt are somehow kind opponents uh, is is possibly a little bit unwise. I mean, Frankfurt's a very difficult place to go to. They beat Barcelona in Europe last season. They'll take an absolutely enormous support with them to Marseille. Um, you know, Tottenham are, are a good side. We know about Antonio Conte's difficulties in the Champions League down the year, so we'll see how that plays out. And the other one is Sporting. Probably is a kind draw. Sporting lost their probably their two best midfield players to the Premier League. Um, in the summer, so th- they look like they're weakened. They also lost Pablo Sarabia as well, of course, back to PSG. Um, when you look at that group, you would say that Marseille should certainly be aiming to finish at least third, and possibly in in the current stage which they're at, they they should take that. You know, going into the Europa League and having a decent crack at that in the second half of the season, having taken everything that comes with being in the Champions League group stage, at least give themselves a chance of qualifying for the last 16 in the Champions League. They have been, you touched on it, they have been absolutely appalling the last couple of times they've been in the Champions League group stage. Did they lose six games out of six back in about 2013, 14, and then uh, then three points in the last campaign? Utterly dreadful. Uh, an, an embarrassment to themselves, never mind the rest of the league. So, you know, they, they, they have to improve. In that. I mean, the thing is, the velodrome, as we've talked about many times in this, the atmosphere there is absolutely incredible. And that is something they need to use to their advantage in the Champions League, they need to make it a difficult place, genuinely difficult place for opposition teams to come to. And they need to be looking to get, you know, six or seven points in the home games, uh, nab a draw or a win away from home, and that gives them a chance. But yeah, I mean, in, in general, the, their squad looks reasonably um, ready to, to tackle the Champions League. It's just a question of whether they can handle the uh, the rhythm of Champions League, Ligue 1, Champions League, Ligue 1 every few days. The, the, the classic thing that French teams have struggled with for years and years that they can't cope with playing games every three days. I mean, most other um, leagues and countries seem to just about manage it. So let's hope that Marseille can cope with it as well. Raising raising levels of expectation unreasonably. That's, that, isn't that Marseille's other motto, I, I, I think? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so those those two on top of top of the table on on sixteen points. Lens third, uh, still a great start for them, but they dropped points at at Reims. And Arsenal fans um, who saw William Saliba flourish in Ligue 1 last season. Well, what about following Balogun? Five goals now for Reims, um, but uh, Ikoma Openda, the new Belgian sensation that uh, they've unveiled, he he's got an, another goal as well. He equalised, but. Balogun, first Reims player since Carlos Bianchi, there's a name for you, since in early 73-74 season, he got six in six, Balogun's got five in six. What what a start for the, the young on-loan Arsenal forward. Lyon fourth then, just a point behind Lens, and Peter Bosch's side equaling their biggest winning margin of the Dutchman's era against Angers. 5-0 it was on, on Saturday. Moussa Dembele with his 19th goal of 2022. I know you talked about him uh, last week. Only Kylian Mbappe has got more goals than uh, Moussa Dembele in this calendar year. Now, we've had a, a mail in from Liam Wraith. Hi, Liam. He says uh, some very kind words uh, about the podcast and says he, he had the pleasure of listening to Leon's win against Auxerre in uh, the beautiful Parc de la Tête d'Or in, in Lyon, which is, uh, I can confirm, a very, very nice park. Had a, a lovely little park run around there uh, on one of my most recent trips to, to Lyon. He says, uh, I wanted to hear your thoughts on Lyon's back line. They, they managed to keep uh, Sinali Diamande, uh, the highly rated young centre-back, 
uh, who who was going to head to Ren, but uh, in the end, uh, in the end, didn't. They have been using Thiago Mendes as a, a sort of makeshift centre back. Uh, Castello Luqueba looks looks brilliant. Um, clean sheet at the weekend for for Leon. The back line, Tom, do, does that convince? Do they convince you? It's a bit of a hodgepodge, isn't it? The, the Leon back four in that you've got on the right back, you've got Malo Gusto, very exciting, uh, very modern, uh, young attacking fullback. Uh, on the left back, you've got the much more experienced Nicola Tagliafico, slightly more long in the tooth, um, uh, you know, a bit more experience, uh, obviously an Argentina international. And then at centre-back, you've got a youth team graduate in Castello Luqueba uh, and then a converted holding midfielder in, in Thiago Mendes. Um, and I think as um, as impressive as, as Lyon's early season form has been, and we shouldn't forget that they've still got that, that game in hand away at Lorient, you know, if they win that, they, they'd theoretically be level on points at the top with, with PSG and Marseille. They've not had to, to, to play anyone, um, you know, really decent yet um, and it took them until that fifth game against a pretty weak uh, Angers side to, to record their first clean sheet so I, I think there are still there are still a few question marks about about Lyon's true level um, I mean something that stood out for me uh, in that game against Auxerre was the nature of the goal that Lyon conceded and that they were 2-0 up late in the game the game's in the bag they've won a corner and somehow Auxerre turned the ball over, and the next thing, there's not a single defender in Lyon's defensive half. Um, and Matthias Audrey ends up running through and and and, and pulling a goal back and, and giving Auxerre hope in a game that, that Lyon should have put to bed well before. So that for me was a sign that there is still a bit of naivety in that in that Lyon defence. Is that because you've got a very young uh, centre back in Vukeba playing alongside a guy in Thiago Mendes who's still getting to grips with the position, perhaps? Um, but yeah, not not entirely convincing uh, from a defensive perspective. But I, I think you know that the raw materials are certainly there, um, and psychologically, at least, getting that first clean sheet under their belts um, will, will do them a lot of good as well. well that's, so that's dealt with the top four in, in in the table. We will look a little bit lower down the table uh, just after this uh, day. Oh, I think Andy wants to come in and say something. No, I, I just wanted to say very quickly, we're talking about the top four, that we should, I think we should mention Sickle Fofana because um, last midweek he, he, he signed that contract extension at Lens on the pitch after their game against Lorient. I think a lot of people, uh, me included, were, were worried that he was going to leave the club on transfer deadline day. There was interest in him, he admitted that. I think Lens keeping him is absolutely huge for them. I think it's massive for Ligue 1 as well. I mean... I was dreading the prospect of him joining Paris Saint-Germain, for example, with the greatest respect to, to, to PSG, because he would have gone there and just been a squad player, not played that often. Him staying at Lens is just enormous, and I think it gives them a... I'm not saying I expect them to finish in the top three or anything close, but it, it does give them a chance. It gives them something to hold on to, this idea that they can aspire towards that. I think it's... Also, nice to see someone yeah, signing a contract. Sorry, sorry. Just going to say, nice to see someone <laughs> yeah, signing a contract say, on the yeah. pitch as well. Old school. <laughs> Echoes of Brian Robson and his massive perm signing for Man United on the pitch back in the day. <laughs> did, he, did he read the small print? <laughs> wow. They, they, Google that one, one kids. One for the kids, um, But it was. Yeah, one for the kids. It was, it was, really, it was really quite, it was really, really quite bizarre, wasn't it? The Stad Bollard sort of, in, it just darkened and these big spotlights on a, on a rather prosaic table. I mean, it would have been nice if they'd had the, 
the sort of resolute desk from the from the from the White House or something instead. It was something more imposing, but it was just a sort of a table from a canteen. But still, it was it was a, a big moment for for Lance and, and brilliant news for for Liga and Uber Eats fans as well that Seko Fafana will be around. I, I should imagine at least to, for for this season. Well, let's go to our deja who. Now, and it's the time for the big reveal to see who's won Arkadiusz Milik's Marseille shirt, the, the very last one, I should imagine, in the production line. Remember, you've got to answer who the player is and the bonus question in each podcast throughout the month to have a chance of getting into the uh, draw. And you have to find out what the answers have in common to be able to win. August's answers were David Ginola, and hit the bonus question, Gerard Houllier blamed him for France's elimination from the 1994 World Cup. Roland Corbis was the second answer. He was the coach of Marseille when Pascal Finduno scored for Bordeaux to beat PSG in the last minute 3-2 and win the 1999 Ligue 1 title. Laurent Roussy, there's another one for the kids, Tom. Uh, his bonus was that he was briefly Ligue 1's youngest ever player before Laurent Paginelli, who uh, Tom is now a colleague of at uh, Canal Plus, bettered that record for Saint-Étienne few months later. Delio Onis, um, the bonus for him is that he is still Ligue 1's all-time leading goal scorer. Peter Bosch, the current coach of Lyon, and the mega bonus question, as uh, Robbie, our executive producer, has rather grandly put it, they all played for SC Toulon, a club founded in 1944 with a colourful, dramatic history. Best finish of fifth in 1988. Several scandals, including the uh, famous one in 1990 when uh, Roland Corbis was coach, currently playing in National 2. And just uh, talking of perms, you want to check out Peter Bosch's perm when he was a player. That's uh, it's pretty impressive. Then the big news now, the winner, the one that you've all been waiting for, Connor <laughs> Kinahan. Well done, Connor. You have won that collector's item, Arkadiusz Milik Marseille shirt. Andy and Tom are uh, genuflecting from their uh, respective uh, pod positions this morning in uh, in deference to that. That's uh, that's great knowledge, Connor. Well done. Well, we've got three pods in September. So here's the first Deja Who of the month. If you think you know the answer, get in touch with us via email, league1podcast at gmail.com. So who am I? I was born in the south of France and played for six French clubs, as well as three clubs overseas. An underrated and no-frills player, I was a model of professionalism and fitness, as attested to by over 500 first-team appearances in a remarkable 21-year career. I lost a Coupe de France final and a Coupe de la Ligue final with two different clubs before winning the Coupe de la Ligue twice with a third club as well as finishing second in Ligue 1. A full France international, I made five appearances for my country and ended my career overseas in a French-speaking club. Who am I, and why do I still give Lucas Moura nightmares? Where does Robbie pull these ones from? That is a that is a real toughie, real toughie. Any any any, any ideas, gents? He's he's got to be somebody who played in Belgium or Switzerland or Canada. I you know, I think played at a French-speaking I, I think club. I've got it, but obviously I'm not going to give it away. I can't think of. Top of my head. Oh, or Reunion Island, potentially, <clears throat> or Guadeloupe, or any of those uh, overseas territories. Anyway, if you think you know, like Tom, maybe Tom will get get uh, 
get in on this one. He, he honestly, he doesn't know the answer. We haven't told him. I, I don't even know if the I answer. I say it now. Does that mean I've won? Because obviously, I'm, I'm getting in there before. <laughs> I, I know I'll be the first person to have answered it right. No, I won't do that. I'll, I'll, but to, I'll Tom, Tom obviously hasn't read the rules. You've got to answer all the questions in each ah. part of the month, Tom, to get and the bonus question correctly to get into the draw for the shirt. So you can write in, like everybody else, to league1podcast at gmail.com. Let's move on then. Andy, uh, you saw Toi versus Ren, not from a hot tub, uh, unfortunately, probably, because the... Okay, that that ended one one. Before we talk about the football, what about the hot tub? <laughs> oh no, I've never seen anything like it in my life in a, in, a, in a game of football that I've commentated or watched. I mean, this is the kind of thing that in 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 England about twenty years ago when they they tried to jazz up the cricket, uh, you know, they brought in twenty twenty and all that kind of stuff, and they would say they would say let's have a hot tub at the you know sort of on the edge of the outfield. And, uh, and we'll sort of cut over there at some point when there's a lull in the match and we can chat to the spectators. Well, yesterday in the game between Twa and Wren, there was, there was a hot tub in the corner of the stadium right beside one of the corner flags. And these two guys um, just sitting there who seemed to be there the entire match. Uh, I, I don't know how wrinkled their skin was at the end of the game. It was a lovely day in Twa. It was about nearly 30 degrees uh, beautiful weather, late afternoon kickoff. So, you know, fair enough. I, I mean, if you're going to watch the game in a hot tub in Twa, then that's the weather to do it in. But I, I, I just completely, you know, I mean, as a commentator, it's not good to be completely lost for words. But I was lost for words when I, I just couldn't stop laughing when I saw it and saw the guys in it. Um, I, one of the highlights, if not the highlight of the game, because it was not a classic, let's, let's be honest, um, between Twa and Ren. So I, I, I should say as well, one thing that happened in that game before, before kickoff was, very concerning. One of the assistant referees actually collapsed on the pitch um, just just at the point um, where, where the officials and, 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 and the captains were coming together to perform the toss of the coin um, and, and then going across to shake the hands of the two coaches. One of the assistant referees fainted and for a few minutes there was real concern uh, for him, understandably, but then it turned out to, to be he, 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 was, he was taken off on a stretcher and you could see him sitting up and sort of smiling about it. So clearly it was just a, a fright and, and the game kicked off just five minutes late, but for a few minutes, I was certainly very, very worried, and, and clearly everybody was. So, thankfully, yeah, he's okay. Just, just that, that, that is really, that is really good news. Um, to go back to to the hot tub, I I've seen sofas, I've seen I've seen sofas at Bayern <laughs> yeah. Munich uh, on 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 the touchline, which is which is quite impressive. I think that's that's something that's quite common in in the Bundesliga. But hot tub is a is a new one on me. Toi, then uh, building on that remarkable. Jaw-dropping four-two win at Monaco in in midweek. Trois up to eleventh. Um, Ren only in in ninth. But maybe Andy, it's it's just if quickly if you can if you can tell us a little bit what's what's going what's going right at Trois. It seemed to me that before the season, the coach Bruno Ilias was was reportedly facing a player rebellion and 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 looked to be on his way out. And suddenly they're they're scoring four at the yeah. Stade Louis Deux and, and and holding Ren. <laughs> Yeah, they lost the first three games, lost ten goals in the process, and then and then uh, the, the following two games, won both of them, scored seven goals, including four in Monaco. Yesterday they went in front against Rennes, and they had a player sent off uh, in the first half and did well to hold on for a draw. So you know, just just a good, hardworking, battling performance. The team spirit's clearly right, and and actually, I'd like to mention the the, the red cards because 
Um, the, the two games that we talked about there that I commentated, the Nantes PSG game and then that game yesterday, both of them featured a red card at about exactly the same point midway through the first half for a very similar challenge. And I know that in the Nantes PSG game, Fabio was dismissed for the tackle on Vitinha and Vitinha then had to come off. Um, I, I, I think this is a very f- fine line that we're walking here. I think obviously referees really must protect the, 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 the integrity, the, the health of the players. That's obviously absolutely crucial. At the same time, there is a duty, surely, to guarantee some kind of spectacle. And, and it does impact on, on the game if you're sending off players um, so early on. In particular, that challenge yesterday, there was no harm done to Lovro Meyer. It is a physical... I hate to sound like an old dinosaur from the days of Brian Robson and his perm, but it is a physical game. There are going to be some challenges that are slightly missed time. Does that mean that you need to send the player off straight afterwards? And, you know, especially so early in the game... I find it very disappointing. And maybe it's because where I come from in Scotland, that probably wouldn't even have been given as a foul. Um, and I'm still, despite having been in France for 15 years, trying to get my head around the, the difference in the way in which games are refereed. But I, I, I would love it if somebody were listening uh, to, to us, you know, talking about this. But you have to try and guarantee the spectacle of the game as well as protect the health of the players. Producing a red card every single time there is a slightly mistimed challenge on the shin to me, is not the solution. So, you know, that that, that is just yeah, something I'd like to get It felt similar. I don't know if you, you you guys saw this, but about the Valère Germain red card as well for Montpellier just before half-time. Oh, b- quelle bande de chèvres. C'est mon coup de gueule. In the, in the first half, Ian, in the first half of a game, yet again, how many red... I mean, there have been so many red cards this season. How many have been in the first half of games? I commentated Leon Ajax for the first game of the season on the first night. There was two red cards in the first half of that match on the opening night of the season. And one of them was for Anthony Lopez, and it was richly deserved. The other one, I'm not, I think it was for a second yellow. I mean, you know, whatever. But come on, red cards in the first half of games need to be avoided. Uh, if, if, you know, I mean, we, we had a big really debate about this. Sorry, it, sorry, I was going to say, we, we had a big debate about this on Canal Football Club last weekend. And, you know, I spend half my time watching French football, half my time watching English football. And obviously, there is, there is a big contrast in the way that those those two leagues are refereed. But what really leaps out at you watching English football, generally speaking, and, you know, the weekend that's just gone was was not a great weekend from a refereeing perspective. But in the main, referees in the Premier League try and remove themselves from proceedings as far as possible. They try not to interfere. They try and let the game flow. There's that respect for, for the game. There's that desire to keep players on the pitch as far as possible. In France, it seems the complete opposite. It seems as if referees are looking for opportunities to show yellow cards, to show red cards. And, you know, albeit occasionally, you know, those reds, those early red cards that, you know, that we're talking about are justified. I mean, you know, you look at the Fabio's tackle on, on Bettinia, who has to be stretched off. I think, you know, that that's clearly a red card offence. But I, I, I find myself watching Liga and thinking, I, I wish these referees would just ask themselves before they reach for their pockets, do I have to get a card out here? Do I have to send this player off? Is the game going to benefit from it? Is there any way I can show some common sense, uh, you know, and, and, and show a little bit of clemency here in the interest of keeping 11 players on the pitch on, on both sides? And so, yeah, I, I share Andy's frustrations. And, you know, as, as much as I love Ligue 1, as much as I watch, uh, as, uh, as much as I love watching French football, it, it is, uh, is a recurrent source of frustration. Yeah, I mentioned that red card for, for Valais-Germain in the dying seconds of the, of the first half at Montpellier. Joe David with uh, two as Lille won uh, that game 3-1, got a, a superb finish for the first one. 
Remy Cabella roundly booed on his return to, to, to Montpellier, where he played on loan last season, of course, and uh, and made, really made his name as Leon, as uh, Montpellier excuse me, won that title in, in, in 2012, um, teeing up both goals for, for, for Jonathan David. Teji Savania in the stands, courtesy of a suspension. Um, actually, Montpellier had a, a game against a game, game against Auxerre, four red cards in that game uh, earlier this season. I mean, in fairness, Elsewhere, in fairness for most, Cle- most of Teji Savania's suspensions are, are quite deserved. <laughs> I think he is he's a slightly separate game. <laughs> Yeah, not nothing to. I don't think that was too controversial, Tom. I, I, I'll, I'll go with that. But brilliant, what a brilliant player! Um, win for Clermont versus Toulouse in their first ever league on meeting. Maxime Gonalon. There's one for the kids as well. Oh, we're doing a really history lesson this morning, ladies and gents, with the first uh, league league goal. Believe it or not, first league goal since he was. Maxime Gonalon's only about twenty eight or something. Like that. Maxime Gonalon is not twenty eight, matey. He's in his early thirties by now. Uh, he's. Got his first league goal since 2016. Third win of the season for Pascal Gastien's men. To lose now three defeats in a row. So the wheels coming off just a little bit for Philippe Montagnier's side. Lorient, a sixth. Third win of the campaign for them. Dango Watera with the goal for a 1-0 at Ajaxio, who won a three teams without a win, along with Andre and, bizarrely, for most of us, I think, Strasbourg who still don't have a win. Especially for Angus Tarod, who tipped them to finish in the Champions League places this season. And at the time you said that, I, I was, you know, literally raising my eyebrows in, in this, in, in the Zoom call. And I think he'll be, he'll be, um, you know, choking on his <laughs> Rice Krispies as he reads Le Keep this morning and sees Strasbourg in, in, in still without a win after six games. Well, they, they played for an app. And Angus, Angus, know, knowing Angus, knowing Angus, he probably is eating Rice Krispies for his breakfast. Other, by the way. other breakfast cereals are available. Uh, they played. They played for an hour. Oh, <laughs> Julian Stefan's men. Oh, but talking about red cards, Sanjan Percic was sent off. Uh, not a very, ch- not a very clever challenge on Hugo Magnetti. But then Julian Stefan was sent off as well. Um, also in the first half, it, it, it should it should be noted. Um, Ludovic Ajork by that stage had already cancelled out Pierre Lise Melu's early opener. For uh, for Brest, I, w- I was always wanted to say Nice with uh, Pierre-Lise Melo, but uh, Nice, maybe he was watching the Côte d'Azur derby on Sunday evening. I know, I know somebody certainly was. It was me. And uh, just another question, Andy, were you doing any work this weekend? It seems uh, apart from the PSG game, obviously. I mean, it just seems I'm on. I'm on everything. I've got, maybe I've gone showbiz, Tom. Anyway, it's me on comms. Nice versus Monaco. Bola wins it back high at the pitch. Takes on Todibo. Fofana. Caio Enrique. That's a searching ball and a chance. And then Bolo breaks the deadlock at last. It's been coming for Monaco. A lot of space for Caio Enrique to deliver the ball. And Matteo Viti simply dominated. By Mbolo, the Switzerland internationals, second goal of the season. So, another derby victory for Monaco. They're unbeaten in five now uh, in against against Nice. Both teams came into this out of form. Having watched the performances, I would say that both of them come out of it out of form as well. This was this was not a classic. I I needed a hot tub for this one. This one, Andy. Um, Monaco, uh, Monaco, Tom, the question really was which Monaco would turn up? The one that 
held PSG and forced them to drop points, or the one that had conceded four goals at home in successive matches to, to Lens and then hugely surprisingly uh, uh, to, to Troyes at the week, uh, on, uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, they're such a curious team, Monaco. And, you know, a first win for them since uh, the opening day of the season away at Strasbourg. And, and you know, they do seem a, a lot happier uh, on the road. Um, and, you know, historically, uh, we know that, you know, Stade Louis de is not, is not the easiest place to play for the home side because it's rarely full. Uh, there's rarely, you know, much of an atmosphere. Um, and when you've got, a collection of, of sort of top level players um, who are aiming for Champions League qualification, uh, you know, and and uh, title challenges. Um, it, it, it's not a, it's not an ideal scenario. Um, and I think it was Yusuf Fafan after the game last night who basically admitted as much. You know, playing away at Nice, local derby. Um, you know, albeit not not a sellout, but you know, a bit of atmosphere, a bit of tension. Um, and yeah, you know the players, the players sort of were able to draw upon that in the way that you know that they're not able to draw upon, um, uh, you know, the atmosphere in their in their home games. But yeah, not not a great game. I think Monaco were probably worthy winners. Um, I think we saw again what what Briel Mbolo has has brought to um, to, to to their front line. Um, uh, should have had a penalty uh, in the first half um, after that far by. Melvin Barr, I'm not entirely sure how the, how the VAR didn't pick up on that, but you know managed to get his goal in the end. And, and I think we saw in that goal the, the 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 two sides of his game in the sense that he's the he's the player who wins the ball back, really strong challenge in, in midfield, drives Monaco down the pitch, and then he's the one who's there at the back post to to, to nod in the cross. So yeah, I think a, a very timely win for Monaco and Nice just looking. Looking quite confused at the moment, um, you know, going into this on the back of that that two-one win away at Lille, which was a decent result, and you thought, you know, is that the kind of result that that that, that could prove to be a a foundation stone for them this season? But they you know, the team has has undergone so many changes this summer. I think back to last season um, under Christophe Galtier, and you know, things, I suppose, apart from the first half of the the campaign, but you know, things didn't really click. Um, but they were quite a young team, Nice, and all of a sudden, they're, they're quite an old team. You know, you look at the front team, they, the front line they had out um, last night with, with Nicola Pepe on the right and and, and Andy Delore and, and Gaetan Laborde, um, you know, reprising their partnership. OK, they, these aren't old players, but these are players who've been, you know, knocking around for, for a little while. Um, Aaron Ramsey playing in a midfield too with, with Catherine Turan. I mean, you know, as, as, a, as a Welshman, as a Wales fan, I'm delighted to see him starting games of this significance. But, uh, I'm not sure that Aaron Ramsey has got the legs to to, to be playing in a midfield too uh, against a, a midfield as 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 powerful and, and as hardworking as as Monaco's. Um, and you know there was a lot of a lot of talk uh, at Nice this summer about putting smiles back on people's faces, about playing attractive football, about you know making people want to come to the stadium. And, and they've made some eye-catching signings. You know Ross Barkley paraded on the pitch. Uh, before kickoff, but it's you know we haven't yet seen the the sort of the the, the Lucien Favre touch. We, you know we haven't seen the impact he had in his first stint there, where you know when he's played some fantastic football, and it could just be that you know they, they've had to integrate a lot of new players, um, and it and it, you know and it's going to take time for for that to all come together because at the moment they look like a bit of a mess. They they they, they certainly do. Uh, and Andy, you've got something to say. 
Yeah, and I mean, obviously, they, they, they brought in Gaetan Laborde, didn't they, on, on deadline day in that swap deal, which I mean, Guiri go to Ren. I, I wonder if maybe in the short to medium term, they might come off um, the, the bigger winners in, in, in that particular deal. I think Laborde is, is an impressive player, and obviously he'll be teaming up with his old pal, Andy Delors, again. They had a great time together at Montpellier. And that is what Nice really needs because they've scored four goals in the league this season and, and three of them are penalties. They haven't scored a goal in open play since Aaron Ramsey came off the bench and scored at Toulouse on the opening day of the season. Um, you know, I commentated their game in, in Lille in midweek and, and they, um, I hesitate to say they got lucky. I mean, they got two penalties in the first half not long after falling behind and then they, they managed to see the game out. But the, it's weird. They've got, they've got a front three yesterday of Delors, uh, Laborde and, and Nicolas Pepe and... and on paper, that looks like you know a, a, a top quality attack. And then you've got Kefren Turam, I think is going to be an absolutely tremendous player. Already is in the midfield, and Jean Claire Todibo at the back. The players are there. Lucien Fabre is making promises at the start of the season. You know the the, the guy overseeing the signings though is is uh, is Dave Brailsford, who who's who's a cycling guru. You know, and and yeah, there's something slightly strange going on. I think I think they will improve, but I'm not sure they're going to. Um, be troubling the Champions League places this season either. Yeah, they're, they're already 11 points off the top two. They're just out of the bottom four, which is this season's relegations on on goal difference. They've got five points from six games. They last did that in the 2011-2012 season, finished in 13th. Last time under Lucien Favre in his first season, 16-17, they had 14 points, a club record by now. Um, and as you said, Andy, only only four goals all goals scored so far. I mean, that's 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 pretty impressive for 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 all the wrong all the wrong reasons. An interesting piece in Le Keeper this morning, criticising Kasper Schmeichel actually, and saying that perhaps he should have come for that cross that that from Cao Enrique that uh, that Embolo just powered home, but from pretty, very close range. And certainly, if you look at the pictures, Matteo Viti, who's Completely dominated by uh, incredibly physical uh, Brillen Bolo, is looking at Schmeichel and basically saying, "Well, why why didn't you come for it?" I think there were some strange decisions as well. You you mentioned Aaron Ramsey there doesn't quite have the legs. I think he's he's thirty one now. He was taken off ten minutes into the second half. Okay, fair enough. The thing is, Kefren Turam had been taken off at half time. So the two midfielders in the space of of ten minutes into the second half they've they've both been changed i thought that was a very curious uh, curious switch maybe turan was injured um he didn't have a lot of impact uh, in the first half laborde and delort suggested at times in the first half they were going to reprise that sort of hall and oats there's another one for the kids uh, duo that they had at, at, at montpellier and then didn't and second half they were terrible on the other side of things alex nubel the monaco goalkeeper made five saves and that's despite having a, a, a three in front of him of Badia Shield, Disasi, who uh, was was pretty pretty good in handling Delore, and Malangsar back in his hometown on loan from Chelsea. Um, and I, I'm surprised to see Nubel with a League One high 31 saves already. Monaco's defence, as we mentioned, conceding four against Lons, conceding four against Trois, albeit with uh, with uh, with with ten men. Um, Maybe that's where Philippe Clement, a former defender himself, needs to look. But they're up to 10th Monaco, a little bit of a reprieve, but they're eight points off Paris Saint-Germain and Marseille. And Andy, you mentioned that fabulous run that they had in the latter stages of last season, but eight points? 
that's that's mm-hmm. a lot of, that's a lot of points to be dropped by PSG in Marseille, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But you know, there's, it's a, it's a long season. Um, you know, World Cup to come, busy European midweeks to come. I know Monaco are involved in the Europa League as well. But um, and, and you know they've they're capable of going on a, a long winning run. They did it at the end of last season with the same manager and and and, and all the rest of it. And I think. I think they will. I think they will climb the table. I mean, you know, they they have had this tendency in recent years to have some pretty bad results at home, but they they, they tend to overcome that. I think Monaco. I think Monaco are looking in in you know not, uh, last night's result aside. I think they look in better shape than Nice. That's for sure. Yeah, interesting incident as well. Later on, Wissam Ben Yedda sort of not throwing his toys out of the pram, but certainly his his, his Monaco shirt. Which uh, again, that's a, that's a debate to be had. The Monaco's third kit. Very, very light purple. Anyway, Ben Yedda throwing his shirt down, going into the dressing room, then coming back out. Um, the 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 pre the post match explanation was that he was uh, had a bit of a stomach problem and basically had to go to the toilet. It 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 didn't look like that. It looked very much like Ben Yedda was not happy about not being brought on uh, after starting on the bench for the second time this season few words with Philippe Clement uh, at the end, I'm sure, to try and sort of patch things up and, and make things at least look a little bit better in public. I'd be very surprised if Ben Yedda rocks the boat, but um, still clearly on the Côte d'Azur, a lot of work still to be done. That's not quite the case for us. Um, we've only got one little bit extra to talk about, and that's the action from Ligue 1 Uber Eats next weekend. So, gents, we kick off on Friday at Lens, currently in third against Troyes, who may well provide Lens with a, a stiffer test than many thought they uh, they might do at the start of the season. Saturday, Paris Saint-Germain are in action, Marseille as well. And uh, let's see how they cope with that those games in between those two Champions League openers. On Sunday, big one for Strasbourg at home to, to Clermont. Nice are away. Renner at home, Monaco at home. Tom, where do you fancy? Um, I'm going to head down to Monaco, I think, for a bit of uh, late summer sunshine um, and the big Sunday night game uh, at home to Lyon. Uh, Monaco, as we were just discussing, whose home form has been absolutely abysmal this season. Um, those back-to-back defeats, uh, 4-1 against Lens, 4-2 against Troyes, eight goals conceded in, in, in two games. But going into the game on the back of um, that very positive result uh, against Nice uh, in the derby. Uh, and then a Lyon team who haven't really been tested yet uh, against one of the, uh, you know, one of the other uh, Champions League uh, contenders. Um, so I think it'd be an interesting one to, to see where both of these teams are. A chance for Monaco to try and get out of this funk that they've been, that they've been in at, at home this season. Uh, and a chance for, for Lyon and for Peter Borges to, to show that there is some substance, uh, some substance to this, uh, this mini renaissance that they seem to be... Uh, embarking upon in the season's early weeks. Nice choice. Andy? Yeah, Monaco Leon is the obvious one. Um, you know, obviously, I think back to the last few seasons, there have been some tremendous games between them. Um, 3-2 Lyon late in the season in 2021. There was uh, a 3-2 for Monaco a couple of years before that. Lyon won 3-2 there in the Coupe de France as well in about 2018. Some tremendous games between the teams, so that should be a cracker. I think if, 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 you, if you're sort of knocking around France this week thinking, what am I going to do on Sunday? Um, then one thing you could do is you could go to Nice, get the ferry to Corsica with the Nice supporters and head down to Ajaccio uh, for their game there on Sunday afternoon. That would probably be a really fun 
trip to go on at the Stade Francois Coty uh, on Sunday afternoon, and you will probably get some very good, um, very good weather down there as well. So that would be that would be the most interesting trip. Maybe not the best game, given what we've said about Ajaxio and, and, and Nice so far, but uh, that would be fun. And yeah, Monaco Leon will be the standout fixture, though. Yeah, Corsica not not named the Isle of the Island of Beauty for for, for nothing. I I actually I'm a bit surprised. None of you fancy the velodrome where Marseille play Lille on on Saturday 9 p.m. local kickoff. So if, if you are kicking around the south of France, as Andy so so nicely put it, you could head to head to Marseille. Um, it's a little bit of a little bit of a trip along to Nice, a couple of hours in the car, then you can get the ferry and uh, across the Corsica for for Sunday. Another. Big uh, weekend of action though coming up and we'll have all the post-match analysis for you in the next Le Bourgeois, the official league and podcast. All that remains for me now is to thank Tom Williams and Andy Scott for being with me today and thank you to the listeners and we'll see you again next week. Au revoir. Bye-bye. Messi again. This time maybe Messi's done it. Oh, sorry, I forgot to say goodbye. Bye.